I'll title this message, uh, Be Great. See, y'all were scared for no reason. Amen. Amen. Be great. Be great. I was told by um, a man that I think is relatively wise, and, and he once told me, <laughs> he once told me that um, women are evaluated in our society based off of how many children we have and if we've married, and men are evaluated in society based off of their success level. Um, and that determines how much respect the world will give you. A man's always asked, but what do you do? But what do you do? But what do you do? And the woman, is, the conversation isn't complete until they ask, do you have any kids and are you married? <laughs> so if you're not careful in the world, you will pursue um, children and marriage for social status Jesus. in order to look like you have been accomplished as a female. And as a man, you will hunt and search for success to make sure that you have respect within the world. Yeah. Uh, these, these things are a challenge to Christianity because Christianity says, live like you ain't got nobody but the Lord. Right. <laughs> and do it for your whole life. Don't Just be content with whatever you have. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about anything. Just love God and do his will. And you and I both know that this could leave you broke busted and disgusted and ain't nobody got time for that so in the african-american modern uh, uh church we have we have found ways to show that god wants you to be wealthy healthy and successful but this often conflicts with the true desire that you have yearning in your life that even mon uh, monetary success and temporary gains seem not to satisfy you finally got the boyfriend and the girlfriend. You guys finally got engaged. Now you're finally married. And still, for some reason, you're not satisfied yeah. with what that has yielded. Y'all don't want to help me. You finally got the job, making the kind of figures that you always wanted. And yet, and still, you're at home crying because you're not satisfied. And in my opinion, I'm just trying to figure out how long you're going to go around this mountain till you recognize that the world system is broke. And that the Father provided one of great means for you and I. Now, this is, this is heavy hitting uh, because I would like to bring to your attention that success is different than greatness. Okay. That success is different than greatness. By nature, anybody can be successful. Success just merely means that whatever the goal you had in mind, you accomplished it. Anybody can be successful. I mean, to be honest, just lower your goal. And then you too can say, I am successful. <laughs> Success just says, or, you know, universally, make sure that what is the societal uh, definition of success? Um, well, it's probably middle class in America, you know, a car, uh, two kids, you know, a dog and, and, and a mortgage and, and, and two cars and, 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 and then maybe a vacation once a year, and then you could consider that successful. However, every person I talk to that has those things still does not consider themselves successful. Yeah. So even as you accomplish certain goals, the bar of what else you should accomplish next keeps, keeps raising because now you can see even further or you can see what the Johnsons have that you don't have, and so now that must be the epitome of success. So now we got two problems. Success is defined by us and success is defined by our society. So we have to fulfill success within us, which is variable, as well as success within society. And that bar is still very common. Very common. The majority of Americans live in middle class, not poverty and not wealth. So even our societal standard of success is extremely common in this first world nation. Yeah. But greatness, however, greatness is beyond success. Greatness has a threshold that is universal. Y'all don't wanna help me today. Huh? 
You are considered great when everybody knows that you have accomplished by far more than what most could ever dream of accomplishing. That is greatness. There's only one standard for greatness, and that is great. You can't be mediocre and call it greatness. You can't be successful and call it greatness. You have to do something that is by far leaps and bounds so much more superior than the average human that all that look at you go, now that person is great. So today I want us to look at being great. Yes? I only got one, one section of verses for you. All right, it's really simple. Let's get into it. St. John picking up at verse chapter 13, verse 32. We are at the um, end of Jesus's earthly ministry and he is yet trying to explain now to his disciples what types of things are getting ready to take place and it is troubling to them to say the least because they're trying to deal with the idea that Jesus continues to say that he's getting ready to leave them. He told the Jews at some point early on in John um, that uh, where I'm going, you can't go because you don't know me. You don't know the Father, so you can't go with me. And, and they're like, where is he going? He's like, you can't find me. I'm going to a place you can't even find me. If you look for me, you can't find me. And the Jews are like, anywhere you go, we can find you. He's like, not here, you can't. And in this conversation, what Jesus is trying to tell the Jews is your heart has everything to do with whether you will find me. Now, surprisingly enough, how you view greatness has a lot to do with whether you can see Christ or not. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me today. When I was young, people always, you know, recently people have asked me, uh, well, Pastor, when you were my age, what did you do? And, and, and when you were my age, you know, how did you, what were you feeling? And, and, and how did you, were you, were you sold out for Christ? And, and all these types of things. And I have to admit, in my younger years, I absolutely adored Jesus. But I had a very um, high sense of reasoning for this. One was I figured people that are adults grow up, get jobs, pay bills that they don't want to pay, keep doing that have kids, get married, pay for stuff for the kids, the kids give them problems around the teenage years, still sucking up money, and then they keep doing that until they retire or, you know, in the black America, file for disability, and then they, <laughs> and then, and then they go on, you know, to be, to be with the Lord. And I was thinking to myself, uh, anybody see that's a problem? And most of the gener uh, generation uh, Z or the screen generation, the ones after the millennials, <laughs> Z, the ones after millennials, they already figured out there is, there is a fly in this milk and they can't stand it. That's why they don't have real good jobs. That's why they mooching off of everybody. That's why it seems like they can't keep their lives together because they figure that looks dumb. And everybody that's doing that ain't happy. <laughs> But everybody's doing it like, but we can eat, though. And they're like, but I eat, too, off of you. So if de facto, <laughs> who's the dumb one? <laughs> so now <laughs> there's a problem. And, and when I was growing up, I came to the same conclusion that getting a job and a career and, and doing all of the things that are customary in society does not yield happiness, joy, or purpose. And I figured this out young. And so when I learned that Jesus and God, they were creators of all that we see and that he wanted to be with us, I was like, bet. Skip all this middle stuff, go straight for the top. That makes sense to me. Y'all over here trying to do all this middle stuff, but everybody say the end is where it's at. Yeah. So if he tells me I can pass through the veil and come straight to him, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do. And I, and I learned to love God because of the access the spirit of the Lord and Jesus Christ gave me. Yeah, yeah. And I loved it. 
I loved him. I loved everything. I felt like I was the most successful individual at the age of 11. <laughs> I figured it just made sense. It all boils down to God, so just start with him and, and let everything else work itself out. Now, now, I tell young people, you should do the same, but most of them don't have the character for it. Because in order to live like that, it has to come with a sincere heart. Like you sincerely have to love God. Because if you just kind of love God, you're not going to make it. Yeah, I mean, do you know how many years I went without working a real job and getting paid? How many years I'm going now without a salary? How many years my granddad asked me, when you going to get a real job? You are too smart to be this broke. By all standards, with a college degree, I looked completely unsuccessful. I had to call my parents for money every other month. Hello? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Asking my grandparents to bail me out, you know? Pay some of my rent, help me with food. I need some gas money. I got, I got to go to the doctor. I ain't got no insurance. I'm not, you know, just struggling, yeah. all right? Just looking like a fool for God. And everybody else is like, now that's a doggone waste of talent. Look, she's smart. Look, she's smart. She's pretty. You know, she could do stuff. Why she ain't doing stuff over there working for the church? You can't be working for the church all the time. You need to do something that's going to put some money in your pocket. But I figured I'm not married and I don't have any kids. If I'm hungry, I'm the only one hungry. It's worth it to me. I'm not getting caught up in that. And little did I know the Lord continued to provide and grow things in my personal life that I would have never imagined because I was prepared to not have any of these things. Prepared. Like, it's fine. I figured out the game now. I got it. I'm in it now. I'm out the matrix. Boom, I see it. You know? I ain't conformity to these systems, you know? And now here I am, 40-some years old. Recently had a birthday, and um, um, I look at my life, and the things that most people are striving for was freely, it just fell in my lap. And I'm like, well, I'm like, God, do these people know this? Do they know that if you seek ye first the kingdom of God, all these things shall be added? Do they really know it? Or are they stuck in the in-between trying to seek God in order that he might bless your personal life? Because it's not the same. Hello? All right, are you there at, um, at um, thir- 30, John 13, 30, 32? Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Uh, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. Um, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, this, this, one of the very few times that Jesus addresses the disciples as little children. This is an emotional time. It's kind of like babies. Listen, I'm going to go. It's his final words, his final address to the men and women that followed him for three and a half years, serving diligently, participating in miracles, preaching the gospel and the coming of the kingdom, excited about the Messiah and his reign and looking forward to the underdog finally being raised up (laughs) and and, and Jews being put in their right position and Gentiles coming to their right position and everyone, every prophecy about the Messiah, they're like, we are at the ground level of the actual Messiah. And it was great now on the outside they ain't have no money they get money out of fish's mouths <laughs> you know people were taking care of jesus as the women took care of jesus more than anybody else always providing for him uh they traveled a lot moved around you cannot have a steady job if you're traveling they leave their jobs leave their careers by societal standards they did not look or appear successful but when they were with Jesus and casting out demons and healing folk, and Jesus was like, uh, Peter, come here. I want you to go over there. Uh, John, why don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah what's up? Oh, oh, you think I want nothing? Huh? Look, at, look at how I'm looking, huh? huh? Yeah, you come on next. You next. Come on. You want to talk to Jesus? Huh? All right, come on. I got you. I got you. You know? Yeah. 
But as the disciples said, they look unsuccessful. But when you saw them next to Jesus, you was like, they are extremely great. Especially them top 12. It was like, ooh, <laughs> So now you recognize there's a shift in what the disciples are having to deal with as it relates to what is greatness. When you let go of success in order to be great. So Jesus tells them, um, where I'm going, you cannot come. He says, but I will leave you with a new commandment. Love one another. When you do this, everybody will know that you with me. You see how you feel when we're together in real life and physically? When you do this, everybody will know, oh, you must be one of them Jesus disciples. This, this lets you know that loving one another is hard. <laughs> Loving one another ascribes disciples with greatness based off of how they love one another. Y'all don't want to help me today. You come to my office, you want to know how can I do this? How can I get this job? How can I get this degree? How can I get this career? Now Jesus is saying to the disciples, if you want everyone to know that you are still with me in a seat of preference, They'll know it by how you love one another. Notice he didn't say love others. He said love one another. This means other disciples. This means other Christians. So you mean to tell me it is hard to love other Christians? Shouldn't it be easy for two Christians to love one another? Shouldn't it be so simple for two Christians to forgive one another? Shouldn't it be so easy for two Christians to get along? Shouldn't it be so easy for two Christians to walk in the same direction towards Christ? It should be simple. It is not. Every church could tell you it is not. On one Friday night, I think last Friday night, we had a question. And I said, what makes something difficult? They said church. I said, excuse me? They said church makes, was it life difficult? Walking with God difficult. Church, church makes walking with God difficult. Do you hear these words? Church makes walking with God difficult. As a church, we ought to be embarrassed. Both the ones that have difficulty walking and the ones that do not. Well, I have difficulty with it. Yeah, you should be embarrassed too because we're in the same church. Yeah. And the fact that you are identifying that this makes it difficult could very well mean that you are difficult. <laughs> this is by, by how you love one another, people will know that you are great in my eyes. You are a disciple, one that really follows how I live. And yet we have such a hard time loving one another. Then he gives a standard. <laughs> Woo! He gives a standard of what type of love we're supposed to show. Because yeah. if you leave, me, you leave it up to me, I'll be like, yeah, I love them with the love of the Lord. I don't fool up with them, you know. I love them, but I don't like them, you know. I mean, I love them. I don't want to see them die or nothing. <laughs> what? You know how low that standard is? You say it like it's up top, you know. You, how many people you want to see die? <laughs> like, ooh, this is an exception to that rule. You must want a lot of people dead. At least I don't want them dead. What? That's, that's pretty bad. It left up to us as believers, our standard of loving one another is so low that I have to spend hours upon hours upon hours hours in meetings and phone conversations about who offended who and why it went that way the standard of loving one another Jesus says I want you to love one another the way I loved you now this this is challenging because Jesus was excellent at loving people I mean he had Judas in his clique and knew it the entire time and just nobody knew this how good he was 
Nobody knew that Jesus knew that Judas was Judas. Nobody knew this. He loved on him so well that nobody knew, not even Judas himself knew that Jesus knew that he was Judas. Y'all don't want to help me today. Do you know what kind of love you got to display for the, for the betrayer not to know that you know that you're about to betray me and not look at you side eye, treat you funny, give you a little bit less than everybody else, put you on a bad job, want you go sweep up the pool. You know, you know how good you got to love somebody. As soon as I find out you ain't with me, I'm, I'm already just, you know, you know good so-and-so. Look at you laughing. You ain't even laughing at nothing. You know. Oh, you got a new job? Probably going to lose it with your sad self. You know, just. <laughs> Everything that you watch this person do, you see it in the most negative way possible. Jesus loved Judas, and no one could tell, not even. I mean, I'll, at some point, I'm going to make sure Judas know I, I ain't fooling up with you. What's going on, Jesus? What's up? <laughs> Somehow you're going to feel something. You know, you're going to feel some kind of disconnect, some kind of hee-hee-hee-haw. You know, you're going <laughs> to I'm going to show it. And if I can't show it, I'm going to stop being around you. See, that also shows it too. See, it's a, it's a no win. Jesus stayed around him. I mean, I mean, Thomas, he, he was a little fickle. The Zebedee brothers, you know, they vying for a position. This group of 12 was shot out. And Jesus loved them in, with all of their flaws that made his purpose difficult. You're making everything I do harder. And I love you. And I forgive you. No, don't go. Stay. Continue to serve with me. Because I love you. No, don't go. Stay. Get your heart self. You know, because you're in church how many qualms they've had, how much bickering and pettiness is going on. You know it. Three and a half years walking with somebody great, the devil roaring around, you know somebody was used by Satan. It wasn't just Judas. Peter, get behind me. Oh, oh, see, see, see? Jesus over here trying to tell people, I'm going to tell you what's about to go down. They're going to raise me up. I'm going to be crucified. This is his the moment where he finally says, wrap your mind around this, this sobering truth I'm getting ready to tell you. And Peter negates it in front of everybody. What? Ninja, did you hear what? It's tough. So Jesus says, love one another the way I loved you. That means a lot of forgiving. That means no pettiness. That means no shortness, no distance. That means looking at everything with positive positivity, not negativity, assuming the best or giving them the benefit of the doubt, not logging how more likely it is that they did it out of spite because they don't like this and they don't like that and they don't like this, you know. He said, if you can't do that, nobody will know you are my disciple. You just believe in Jesus. That is not sufficient. There's unto salvation. Unto. By this, all people know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right. Cool, Jesus. We're going we gonna to squash our differences. We're going to love one another. Got you. I got you. Now, this holds for about two weeks in general. Two people don't like each other. Two people have an offense. It lasts about two weeks, you know. I bring two people together and tell them they need to apologize one to another and hear each other's hearts. Um, it lasts about two good weeks because as soon as somebody does something similar to what they had a problem with, it, that whole thing just falls apart. Just, it just falls apart. And I'll be like, but I thought we, and here you, now we got to cycle all over again. Now we're going to start a new list 
of how many times you've done this or something like this or, you know, I'm going to start a new list and then we have to squash it, come back together and start a new list. When I, when I tell you it is the most time consuming, cumbersome aspect of church. Yeah. It's trying to get sheep to stop fighting each other. Because nobody wants to take responsibility for loving the other person like Jesus loved you. Nobody wants to be the bigger person to do that. Hello? Not unless they can admit their fault. Not unless they grovel with an apology. Then I'll love them. The Bible says while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now until they can show me that they changed their ways. Judas was still there. <laughs> Do you see where your standard is? You're so busy trying to be successful that you're missing how to be great. Right? Success just says, you know, I, I, I'm around them. I don't say nothing or do nothing to them, you know. Great says, no, now we are, I'm actively pursuing a closer and more positive relationship with that person. <laughs> Look at y'all faces. <laughs> Just take some mustard seed of faith. Hello? Mm -hmm. Simon Peter said to him, him being Jesus, this is verse 36 of chapter 13 in uh, St. John. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Stop right there. Peter has a love for Jesus. Truly. Truly he loves Jesus. But in most respects, he loves Jesus for what Jesus represents. For what the Christ is, is, is supposed to be. Do you understand? Because if, if Jesus says anything that threatens the pedestal that Peter has him on, in terms of being the Messiah right now, y'all don't want to help me. Peter is not having it. So much so that he really thinks he needs to educate Jesus himself on what is going to happen to his life and what is not. <laughs> Jesus, let me talk to you something for a second. Listen, listen. You know, we, we got a good thing going here, all right? The multitudes is growing, you know? You know, healing and miracles happening. You know, it's, it is prime time for you to be the Messiah, to sit on the throne and, and be... <laughs> And be the king, you know, what is, you have to lose this talk of crucifixion, okay? This is, this is counterproductive. And you can see there's a passion in Peter for the ministry. Y'all don't want to help me today. You about to mess up the ministry we got going on. You about to mess up where I know this thing is supposed to go. Y'all don't want to help me. Peter said, I, I will go wherever you go. I am down with you, Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you're not. You're not down with me. And I know this is really hard for Peter to process because he's like, I, I left my career for this. I left my family for this. I've been following you for years. What else do I need to do to show you that I am down with you? Jesus like, nah, before the sun come up, you're going to already deny me. Today, today, today. Do you know how much pressure <clears throat> Peter had to be under? How much emotional duress people, Peter had to be under when he denied Jesus, knowing that Jesus said he would deny him? When somebody gives you a warning that something is getting ready to happen, that you feel on your insides ain't no way you would do. Y'all don't want to help me. Do you know how much satanic and demonic pressure is being added to your character flaw that makes you still do the very thing that somebody told you you was going to do that you thought you would never do? 
I say demonic influence, adding pressure to your poor character. But I would never. Now you got, I know he probably got offended walking around. So, oh, you're going to think I'm going to do something like that. See, that's what I'm talking about, man. Every time I try to say I'm down, man, Jesus be like, oh, you ain't down. Get behind me, Satan. You know what I'm saying? I'm tired of this, man. I am down. You know? <laughs> and his mind, he got it all planned out, figured out. And we all know at the end of the story, did Peter deny Jesus? I want to spend some time here for just a second before we go. And um, on the phrase, will you lay down your life for me? Will you lay down your life for me? I was enthusiastically blessed to hear Elijah's latest album that mentioned me as one that lays down uh, her life. And I was, I was so blessed to hear that because he's young and he sees it. And, and that just means that the next generation has hope because Elijah will know what is expected of a pastor. Do you understand? That they lay down their lives for the sheep. That means our future church, we in there. <laughs> we in there. We already got seeds in the ground for what we are right now for there. We in there, my man, right? Will you lay down your life for me? He says, no, you're not. What I, what I think is, is hard is, Peter is thinking, lay down your life like valiantly die. And Jesus is thinking, lay down your life like live, lay down. Will you live, lay down? Will you live dying? Or do you, it's really simple and probably difficult for a person to die, right? It's, it's good and bad, you know? It's like, oh, the torture is over, you're done. But it's even harder to live persistently being suffer, uh, persecuted and suffering. So Jesus is saying, will you lay down your life for me? He's like, yes, no. And this is the thing I'm going to talk to you about, the story in the future with Peter. Um, when the uh, Pharisees and the guards come to get Jesus, it's Peter that pulls out his knife and cuts the soldier's ear, right? Jesus looked at Peter, looked at the ear, put the ear up, put the ear back on the man, healed him. He healed his doggone pursuant enemy. And I know Peter was like, that was my shot to show you, Jesus, that when everybody ain't down, I got my knife ready, okay? Where your knives at? You ain't got none. I got mine. I am ready. You need me on your side, Jesus. Out of all the rest of these, I'm the only one that know what it takes to really run a kingdom. I'm prepared and I got you. He moved in the complete opposite direction that Jesus was trying to convince them to go. Because no matter what Jesus said for three and a half years, Peter only interpreted those words based off of what he felt should be happening. He, could, he couldn't digest that idea of what dying for Christ, no, of living for Christ after you see Christ sit there and take being battered and abused and say nothing. You're you going to whip them? You're going to carry them off? You're going to hang them up? You want me to follow you on that? Why? You're the Messiah. You're the king. And now Peter's faith could almost falter in the idea because you saw the king moving in one direction that you thought was greatness, but it was just success. Y'all don't want to help me today. Jesus, I'm trying to show you how to be great. Right? How to be great. And Peter's like, that ain't great. I can't. 
I can't, I can't, I can't rock with that. I can't go, I can't, I can't. You, you got me, tr- I gotta, I'm gonna have to be a completely different person. And y'all don't wanna help me. I'm gonna have to be a completely different person if you want me to follow you like that. All my life I was taught to fight. All my life I knew that your, your faith came with fighting. All my life I knew it and I'm built for it. Now you're going to tell me that I can't even do that when that is the only form of survival and purpose that I understand? That's tough. That ain't even me. Ain't no way I could do what you just did. Look at that. And have the kind of power you have. I mean, at least fight. Even if you lose, Jesus, fight for it. And Jesus like, I am. I am fighting for it. But you have a goal of success. And I have a goal of greatness. This particular um, line hit me. And I want to share something. Uh, personal, and I pray I can get through it because it's about my mom. And so I tell the first family to be in prayer and to be encouraged. Amen. Come on and bless the name of the Lord for the first family. Amen. On Friday, uh, Renew Vibes, our little after dark worship sessions we have with the young adults. Um, I shared a testimony because I posted on Instagram a quote that said something like, you know, when you go in your room, you bust out, you bust out crying because you know no one knows how unhappy you are. And, you know, a couple of people called to check on me, and I thank the Lord for that. Um, but someone called and gave me, I mean, ministered to my heart, uh, truly. And for me, that's rare. <laughs> uh, it's rare. Um, and what this friend of mine said was one day, you will want God to add more years to your life. Because I was explaining to him that I don't want to be here. That I don't want to be here. And I love the church, but it just don't seem like they enough. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> and the only reason I keep going is because a part of me is just curious about how it's all going to end. But if you were to ask me, do you want to stop now? I'll be like, yes. When I get my blood results, results and they're always perfect, I'm like, dang it, run them again. I can't be this healthy. <laughs> I get an ultrasound on my, my heart, you know, one of them echo things. I'm like, mm, that, that flippity flip, that shouldn't be happening, should it? That flip, 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 you need to check that out, dog. You're like, no, the odds of you having a heart attack is virtually impossible. You have zero cholesterol. I'm gonna need you to take this report and go back and find something <laughs> wrong with me. And it's morbid, but it's true. I absolutely adored my mother. She was my everything apart from Christ. With her by my side, I felt like I could do anything. And if anybody tried to stop me, my dad was going to shoot him. So if de facto, (laughs) I was set up for greatness. So when she left, as much as I love God and I'm appreciative for every blessing he gives me in my life, and through the years that my mom has passed, he's just been showering blessings on me, I still have to tell him, I'm so sorry, but I don't want to be here. And every Sunday, I go in my office after preaching, and I tell Danny and Keisha, another one down. I am counting the Sundays to get out of here. That's how bad it is. And so the friend that talked to me, he had enough faith to say, I know for a fact one day you're going to ask God for more years. And he was so adamant about it that I was like, I I might have a little hope. His, His adamant faith gave me hope. Like, well, you really seem really sure about this. All right, maybe, I don't know, you know. 
But beforehand, it was like, no, absolutely not. I don't care. Ain't nothing on this earth that I want. Nothing. I see, I, like Solomon, I see everything. The seasons come, go, you have, you don't have. It's all, it's all the same old, same old Jesus. It's just more of the same week after week. The members start rotating. You understand. I got a member just like you that came five years ago. You know, it's, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same, it's the same over and over and over again. And I said, there's nothing here that could ever want me to stay. I'd much rather be um, going where my mother is. So when I got to this line of, will you lay down your life for me? The friend that was ministering to my heart got me to repent. Do you know how? You know how in there you got to get to get me to repent? Not that I'm, it's hard for me to repent, but you don't just come trolloping behind my heart walls. <laughs> Excuse you. <laughs> what you doing back here? I did not give you a key. Excuse you. The Lord gave me a key. Well, I'm, you, I'm a get, I'm fine. And so in prayer, we began to pray and I cried and repented. Repented for what? Because I wanted something that God did not want for me. That my will was not his will and I kept it begrudgingly like Peter y'all don't want to help me today I'm gonna do it but I, I, I and quiet is kept I began to be angry that you're making me stay here try to find well let's speed it up <laughs> hurry up are you do you know Jesus good do you know Jesus let me let's say the prayer do you know Jesus how many people we got to save so I can say we're done And people that say, oh, I don't want to die, you know, that'd be terrible. I'm like, what is so terrible? Sounds great to me. And it got to the point where I had to repent. And this, there's, there's, only, there's one cry that I have that only my parents and Jesus ever hear. It's the one where most times my prayers are very eloquent, okay? I can gather my thoughts. I say, Father, we thank you right now for your spirit and for your grace and for your mercy. I repent, God, for anything I might have done, known and unknown, that, that wasn't, wasn't right in your eyes. Okay, I get it. It'll be smooth, all right? And I'm praying real smooth, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit taps my hip and says, <clears throat> well, fine, spirit of the Lord, I repent. I repent. And now I am sobbing this cry that nobody but my parents and Jesus have ever heard. My words are like, um, um, um. And I have to repent and tell the Lord, I am sorry that I have been mad. And because I'm mad because my will is not your will. And you ain't changing yours. It's clear. <laughs> So now I have to change mine, and I don't know how. Y'all not gonna help me today. When I prayed, I felt a little better, but I didn't know what was changed. Do you understand? And I didn't want to go poking at it. You know, what if I mess it up? You know, it might be something really good that left. I don't know. You go poking around, it might come back. I ain't doing that. So I took a nap. So <laughs> Let the spirit of God keep working on it while I'm sleeping. <laughs> Get it down in there, okay? I don't want to mess this up, right? I took a nap, and then I had to come to uh, Renew Vibes after dark, and I, and, and I shared some of the testimony with them. And I went home. And I think me, Danny, Jewel, it was Gabby, but she was asleep, so we don't count her. We, um... <laughs> We were discussing some dreams that I had and some things that my friend had said, and we found some connections in between the two. And so I said, I want to remember it because it was late. I'm, I need to, I wish I could just record my voice so I remember it. I don't want to forget what these connections I see and what God is doing in, in my heart as it relates to the prayer that we prayed, you know. And I said, I just need my phone. Uh, Gabby's the one when she was awake. She said, to, <laughs> she said, <laughs> she said, she said, she said, um, she said, you know, you got a voice memo app on your phone. 
I was like, oh. I'm just looking at my phone. She was like, mm, just search, type it in the search, Pastor. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I go to the voice memo app. I go to my voice memo app, and there is a line here that says, voicemail from mommy. I do not recall ever saving this. As a matter of fact, I was angry because I did not have enough voicemails of my mom. I just had one where she said, call me back, and she was mad, and the other one, she was thanking me for some potty thing I got her. You know, I was like, that's stupid. Why did I save more e voicemails? God, I should have saved all of them. It's so dumb, you know? And I've been angry for years, you know, at the fact that I didn't have that. And when I opened this voice memo, I do not remember ever doing this at the time. And it's surrounded by a lot of other things that are very prophetic. It's like three other voice memos that really speak to my heart. Um, but this one is the one I'll play for you. Um. Hey, baby. I just called back and leave a message to tell you how much I love you. I love that emoji thing you sent me. I keep playing it over and over so I can hear your voice. It's so cute. I just wanted to tell you, in all my life, I got one thing right, and that's you. I love you so much. Bye-bye. Um, we just stood shocked that the Lord would so kind. Yeah, he was, he was so kind. And when I was struggling with trying to want to stay here, to hear my mom say that this is what she sacrificed and gave her life for is me. And it gave me um, the will to live. <laughs> it really did. And I didn't even know I didn't have it or have enough of it. And the fact that for four, almost four years now, I never knew this existed. And, and it came at a day that God was trying to deliver me. It's like Peter, I could handle being here with her. But you telling me you want me to do this without? No, absolutely not. I'm going to do it, but I'm, I'm going to be begrudging about it. <laughs> I'm going to do it, and I'm not going to like it. And it took the power of the Holy Ghost to get Peter up. It took the power of the Holy Ghost to change Peter from one type of man that saw greatness, but it was really just success. And make him the type of man that could truly identify what greatness really is. That greatness is not being able to defend yourself, cut somebody, shoot somebody, get up on, you know, it's not about your money, it's not about your job title, it's not about your position. Greatness is something so much deeper that you have to strive for something that very few people could ever do well. Yeah. And that's considered greatness. In our society and in this church, we have lost the desire to be great. Everyone's just striving to be successful so that they could have some personal sense of achievement and identity. But nobody has a dream or a vision of being great. You can be great in anything that is burning in your heart. Are you a parent? You can be a great parent not just a successful parent. You can be the kind of parent that people go, my God, look at how many hours you spend with your kids. Look at how much, how much patience you have with your kids. Look at how much you teach them. Look at how the great relationship you guys have. You could be great. You just want to be successful. You could be a great husband. Like my dad, they went through hard times, but they did not stop at success. They pushed on to greatness. I bore witness to it. 
Now we can say they had a great marriage that has become an echo for all of us single individuals what love and sacrifice and togetherness really means. They didn't just love each other, they liked each other. They were best friends, they hung out, they laughed and played. That's greatness. When every other marriage is distant at some point and cold and, 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 and trying to evaluate what's in it for me, rather than they both laying down their lives to serve one another, and I saw it with my own eyes. You could be a great husband. You can be a great wife where most women would have something to say and couldn't deal with it and wouldn't stand for it. You stand for it, you deal with it because you absolutely love your husband the way you love Christ. You see his inner greatness and now you're finding greatness by supporting and being there for somebody else that is destined to be great. There's no longer any desire for greatness, just success some money. You're not even preparing your lives for greatness. You haven't even pulled out the thing that you know that you know that God has called you to be great in. You haven't even started investing in that. Get your mind off of success and get it on greatness. When I heard my mom's voice in this, I had to listen to it the next day. The first day I was too overwhelmed. I got parts of it and I, I couldn't. The next day, I, I, could, I listened to it the next morning, and, and I said to myself, you've got to do it, and you've got to do it well. You've got to do it, and you've got to do it well. And now all of a sudden, there's this tiny little ember sitting in my belly that's telling me I've got to do it, and I've got to do it well. I can't go nowhere because I got to do it, and I got to do it well. I can't say I want to leave. I got to do it, and I got to do it well. Somebody loved me enough to lay down their life for me, and now I've got to do it, and I got to do it well. Dear Lord, let me be great. Dear Lord, let me be great. Not pridefully, let me do something great that shows your greatness. Let heaven echo that was a great saint. Let hell be afraid because that is a great saint standing all over the house. Let's be great.